Good day, everybody. Tom and Keith back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. KJ, uh, nice day for Florida State yesterday. I'm going to classify this as either the worst best performance or the best worst performance that I've seen in some time for Florida State. And we can chew on it from there, but I think you know what I'm hinting at. I thought it was a very good 50 minutes of football. Um, the first 10 minutes, plus or minus, nah, not so much. Not so much. A little rough around the edges at the start. Some bye week rust, I suppose. There was a lot of that mixed in throughout, though. Honestly, the way the game started, Georgia Tech was trying to give you the football game and Florida State wouldn't take it. Here's another 15-yard penalty. Let's extend the drive again. Let's set you up first and goal. No, let's give the ball back to you and let you go 71 yards the other way. Fortunately, fortunately, Florida State was clearly the much better football team. And it's hard to fathom in some respects, Keith, that you could have a game with 600-plus yards of total offense. What did they finish with? 642 and have 13 penalties and two turnovers and all the other mistakes that were going on and yet still be so productive. Well, that 642 could have been closer to 800, if not for what? I counted five. I don't know what the official tally would be, but I counted five drop passes. Now, I'm not talking about passes that would have been difficult to secure. I'm talking about hit you right between the numbers, right in the hands. And that's a trend that has been kind of manifesting itself over the past couple of games that we did not see in the first three or four ball games of the season. And that's probably my biggest negative takeaway. A lot of positives in the ball game, no question. But well, concentration. Go ahead. Two of the drops were on the first drive on third and fourth down. Exactly. And that's why you turned it over on downs. <laughs> FSU did not punt in the football game. And I think they scored on seven of 10 drives. The three drives they didn't score on, they turned it over on downs. They fumbled at the four-yard line, and then they fumbled again. Other than that, Georgia Tech, which had been, I don't know, average, decent, okay defensively, they looked like they had never seen anything quite like what Jordan Travis in the passing game was, and that's even with the drops. Exactly. And, um, you know, still ran the ball well. Uh, Jordan, as we'll talk about with, uh, I guess it's a career high in passing yardage. Did I read that correctly? Yes. And, um, and um you know, a defense that absents the last drive, and that's the one thing as a former defensive player, it drives me nuts. I know you had subs in. I know you have people in there. But, you know, to allow a team to score on their last drive and, in essence, score a touchdown on the last play of the ball game, you know, those, those are the types of things that stick in my crawl and would have been an unbelievable motivator going forward. Let's hope it's the case for this squad as well. Well, I actually think that's the best takeaway of this. The coach, Coach Norvell, would never say this right after the game, but when you have that many mistakes, I mean, normally if you if you route a team and you roll up that kind of offense, it may be a little harder to capture the team's attention the next week. Right. A, it's Miami week. You shouldn't have any issue with focus. But B, there are a lot of really coachable, teachable things that they need to correct, whether it's the drops. More frustrating than the drops to me is having to burn two timeouts in the red zone because you can't a guy can't get lined up. I mean, that mistake can't happen eight games games in especially coming out of a bye week so to me there's all those things that they'll be harping on this week and just in a silo of thinking about it it feels to me like they'll play a very crisp game at Miami because they will be much more buttoned up than what we saw now maybe it won't go that way that would be my initial expectation though well it speaks to and we've talked about this and this is a this is a 30,000 level comment on my part 
<clears throat> our viewers can decide whether it's a good one or a bad one, but their inability to come out crisp in this ball game after a bye week absolutely positively speaks to the youth on this team. Veteran players don't let that happen, but young players do. And sometimes you got to get their attention. Now you can get their attention in practice sometimes, but the best way to get their attention is to put that game tape on and say, all right, this says something. What does it say? And when they put that last drive on, particularly for Coach Adams' defense, it's going to say, even though they were subs, even though they were second, third teamers, it's going to say, we're not there yet. We have more work to do. And then Coach Norvell will put the entire tape on for the first 10 minutes in the big squad meeting, in the big team room, and say, you said you were focused. You said you were ready. You tell me if this is evidence of a football team that's ready to play a ball game. So. I'm more concerned with the start than the finish. And I get it. You as a defensive guy want to see it for 60 minutes. I think that speaks to depth issues, youth issues, like you're sure, pointing out. Sure, but, sure. but Georgia Tech did have 142 yards on the last two drives, and that's at a 264. So they went the first, say, 80% of the game and had roughly 150 yards. And then they went the last 20% of the game and had 140 yards, you know, to your point. The math is a little off there. It's it's early and I'm caffeinating. Um, my my greater concern would be the start of the game. And you always talk about this, Keith, in terms of the players being motivated and starting crisply. And the coaches can work them all week and they can put in the best game plan in the history of game plans. But the players have to take it upon themselves to come out and take care of business. And I knew when I got down to field level, and I looked around and it was a overcast kind of gray, dreary day. Not many folks there. The students weren't in yet. It just felt it lacked atmosphere, especially compared to the last game. And so to me, I just said this game is ripe for slow, sluggish, not into its start. And that's something the players can't have. I mean, you can't obviously the the atmosphere is a way to tick up your adrenaline, but you need to get there on your own accord. I've always said and and folks sometimes disagree with me, but I, I still believe I'm right that, you know, the coaches, as you mentioned, they put the game plan in. And a Coach Bowden, a Coach Norvell, uh, a Coach Atkins, a Coach Fuller, they can give an inspiring pregame talk, and that gets your blood juice, juices going. But the reality is the upperclassmen have to get the team ready to play. It's their responsibility, both in terms of what they say and what they do. And we just don't have that yet. This is not a team that's mature. And, and, and everybody strives for it, and very few teams achieve it. You know, you got Georgia doing it now. You've had Alabama doing it for a number of years and others occasionally. Florida State with the dynasty, et cetera, et cetera. It's always the goal. It's just hard to achieve. And it also speaks to and reinforces the fact that FSU is still a very young ball club, very young ball club. A couple of key takeaways in this game for me. One, I think Florida State came out unscathed. I'm not, I don't think anybody went down, got anything more than nicked. I might be wrong on that, but it seems like they came back pretty healthy. Two, Fabian Lovett does make a big difference in the front. And I know Georgia Tech's offense is abysmal, but we'll never be able to go back in time and say, what do some of these games look like if, if he plays? But certainly the Wake Forest game, I think, looks differently if you have Fabian in there with that mesh, slow mesh that they run. Three, Let's give a little credit to the kicker who made all his kicks and maybe has, you know, he changed his stance, his mechanics back to what he used to do. 
maybe Ryan is in a little bit better place. Those are kind of my my key takeaways. And the fourth one would be Jordan Travis and just how how good he really has become as a quarterback. He's not perfect, but he's been pretty fun to watch. So uh, any that I missed from a from a thirty thousand foot view there, Keith. Well, I, I, let's work in reverse. I think you saw Travis really perform, and guess what? Not a single run. Yeah, not a single run. He had one sack. He finished the game with one rush for minus seven yards as a result of the sack. So it was a a pure passer day, if you want to think about it that way. You'd have it's, to ask to go ahead. It seems as if he had implicit orders not to run because on the two chances I can think of one of which was reviewed early on was he passed the line of scrimmage when he threw it he easily had five ten yards there was another play in the second half it was something in three yard, maybe third and three he easily had three yards but he was still throwing it so it, it felt to me like this was a we're not going to run you and risk anything or put anything on tape but next week against Miami those legs are going to come out that's what it felt like to me what I was going to finish with is exactly what you're saying. Uh, I, you'd have to ask Coach Norvell and Coach Atkins, and if they would even admit it, <clears throat> I think he did have specific instructions uh, to pass first and don't run at all. It wasn't pass first and run second. It was pass first and don't do anything else. Um, but, again, as you said, in Miami, that'll be different. I, I always go back to, I mean, none of us, I think, would ever categorize Christian Ponder as being able to run like Charlie Ward or like uh, uh, Jordan Travis. But I go back to that Miami game when Ponder ran for 700 yards or whatever it seemed like. Um, Miami sometimes is susceptible to that. So I'm pretty sure, <coughs> pardon me, this next week's going to be far different than what we saw yesterday. So Travis right now, by the way, is over 2,000 yards passing. And we're two-thirds of the way through the season. He's got 14 TDs and three INTs. So just rough math, he's, he's got a chance to get to 3,000 yards and about 20 touchdowns and five picks. Coming off a year when last year, I don't remember his passing yards, but I think he was 15 TDs and six interceptions. A, that's improvement. B, that's pretty good when you add the two years together. He really has grown. And, Keith, I looked this up last night, and I swear I triple and quadruple checked it because I – it, it shocked me when I saw it. And now this is not a perfect stat. The game has changed. Tempo has changed. It's officiated differently. The season's not over. I get all that. But this millennium, there's only two FSU teams that have averaged more total offensive yards per game than this current edition. And it's the 2000 team and the 2013 team, which both were quarterbacked by guys who won the Heisman Trophy that year. Oh, yeah. So think about that, that this team, and now this team struggles in the red zone. They'll pile up the yards from the 20 to the 20. We know that. And I'm not suggesting that Jordan should be on the short list for Heisman candidates. I'm just saying the offense, considering that there's still deficiencies, they need better play at tight end. They really don't have a blocking tight end. They need to get better on the offensive line. They need to get more consistent in the, in the catching uh, in terms of pass catching. Uh, I think the running backs and quarterback are pretty good, though. I agree. I agree. And uh, as our fans and listeners would know, uh, that twenty, that 2000 quarterback was on the opposite sideline coaching for Georgia Tech last night. And uh, to name drop, because I, I so, so rarely do it, uh, I saw one Charlie Ward earlier in the week. Uh, I didn't ask him about um, uh, those types of things in terms of winning the Heisman Trophy. 
but and I didn't see Jameis Winston this week, so I didn't talk to all three of them. But the other thing to remember about Jordan is he's already got more career rushing yards than Charlie had. So, um, yeah, he's in some pretty elite company within the Florida State family. I think his ability to – and we talked about it really showed up at the LSU game initially is where you saw that there had been a change, at least I felt that way from last year to this year, to keep his eyes focused downfield and not just run. He did it again yesterday on that touchdown pass to, to Jay Sean Corbin – not Jay Sean Corbin. Help me out. Uh, Ja'Kai Douglas. Douglas. Yeah, Corbin's uh, already moved on. Um, but I, w- I was standing right there, and Jordan kind of starts to move around. All of a sudden, it, it was almost a little Mahomes-like, like, let me sidearm this on the run. And it just – here it is. It hits Ja'Kai Douglas, who just waltzes into the end zone. Um, I don't know if you call it improvisation or, or just really athletic ability, but that's, that's the area where he can really kill you. A couple of things that, that are related to that. You talk about your observations and your takeaways. Um, I, I do agree that having Fabian Lovett in the ball game is material. Now, it's material for three reasons. Number one, uh, the players around him raise their play. He, he is that type of player. We talk about you know, individuals who perform well, and then we talk about individuals whose presence uh, just encourages everyone else to perform well. Number two, he can make some plays. And certainly he's going to push the pocket. You're not going to be able to step up uh, like you can traditionally do. But thirdly, opposing coaches know he's there. And so that changes up some of their blocking schemes and changes up some of the things they want to attack. Uh, So his contribution is not just what he does. It's what he um, elicits out of everyone else around him. And the fact that, you know, you got to pay attention to him. I, I, I had occasion to, uh, further name drop. I had occasion to be with Coach Andrews over the week, and he was talking about you know when he was playing, and Dion came, and he completely changed the way he formatted the secondary. And so he had Dion handling one half of the field, had Leroy Butler, corner. He would end up being in the NFL Hall of Fame as a safety, but it was the corner, and and had you know Stan Shivers and the Bill Reagans of the world that were patrolling the middle and could could get into the box a little easier to stop the run. And the point being, one player, either for your team or as the opponent looks at your team, can have that big a difference. The other thing is on the offensive side, I really think Ja'Kai brings a different level of stuff, both in terms of how Jordan reacts to him, but also, you know, what he can do with the football. And uh, you've seen that. You've seen him be very productive very quickly in the last two games he's been been able to play. William Floyd's talked talks about that a lot. He's just a mismatch waiting to happen. They put him in the slot, and it's either a safety or a linebacker, depending right. on what down it is. And and we saw it last year. That's how he caught the big passes, both against Notre Dame and against Miami. He's been back two weeks, and he has two touchdowns already. There's there's not an answer to him. He is a different wrinkle for sure. Exactly. And so uh, you know, as you're trending, other than the first ten minutes of the ball game, other than youth, other than the drop balls. Uh, you've got to be really, really ang- anxious is not the right word and excited is not, not the right word. But I, I am I'm whatever the next level of cautiously optimistic, whatever that is, whatever that word is about Florida State heading into the Miami game. Yeah, and Miami needed four overtimes to not score a touchdown and win 14 to 12 in a game that had no touchdowns. But that said, Keith, you and I uh, are on the same side on this one. It doesn't matter if Miami hadn't scored a point all year and was winless. 
what FSU sees next week in South Florida will be the best addition of Miami that's played this year. So that's what you have to plan for because that's what you're going to get. It's always been that way. You talk about that 2000 team. Um, if, if I've got my, uh, if my memory holds, uh, didn't Florida State play in Miami in 2000? and lose on a on maybe not as hot as the Southern Miss game over in Jacksonville that one time, but a noon kickoff in Joe Robbie or whatever the crap we call that stadium these days with Winky at the quarterback position, and, and Miami just willed the way to beat Florida State. Your memory's pretty good. It was still at the Orange Bowl. It was hot as could be, and that was the I think that was the Jeremy Shockey game. And Matt Munyon missed a kick at the end, and it was 27-24. But, but in the BCS days, FSU still came out ahead of Miami, which they still did. sticks in the craw of uh, Miami fans. And FSU was, was that in the Orange Bowl? Was that in the old, old, old I, Orange Bowl? I think it was. I don't remember what year they shut that. You know what? Yeah, it was a few years after that because I remember the last game in the Orange Bowl, Virginia blanked Miami like 45 nothing or something like that. And that was the last game there. So Miami must have been in the ACC when they shut that down. I'll look, I'll look that up as we're talking. Let's well, talk the, about the, the only thing I've mentioned is this. Let's relive some old days. Uh, I, 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 I was traveling with the team. I, I don't know if you were yet or not, but I was down there when uh, Coach Bowden made the buses when they landed at the airport, picked the team up. Instead of busing directly to the hotel, Coach Bowden made the, them escort him by the, the land in which the old Orange Bowl set so that he could visually see that that stadium was no longer there because he didn't like it. I won't use the term hate it, but he didn't like it so much. And FSU had said such heartbreak, he wanted to just verify that it, in fact, was gone. It didn't close till 2008, Keith. So uh, even though it feels like it's been a long time that the, the uh, Canes have played in Seminole Hard Rock Stadium, it actually hasn't been that long uh, overall. Let's talk about Fitzgerald a little bit, Keith. He makes a couple of short field goals. Now, I don't know that that makes us feel any more confident if it comes down to a 45 or a 50-yard field goal, but I do think it changes how you manage the game if you are looking at something that's 35 yards and in now because he seems a little more confident and comfortable in that range. Would, would you agree with that? I would agree. And, and we haven't talked about it much because obviously neither one of us are kickers. Um, but, you know, the story has come out. Um, I, mean, I think it's been at least quote unquote verified that there was a change in his stance and a change in his approach. And you've brought this up before, you know, you have all these assistant coaches and you have all the on-field coaches and you have all these analysts, but in theory, you do not have a true kicking coach. Uh, coach Papushius does a great job, but you know, he's in charge of the return teams and the punt team, as well as the uh, field goal extra point teams. And I'm just wondering, we may never know, but I'm just wondering what, what necessitated or, what made Fitz think he needed to change something and how easy was it to go back? And is that the answer? And, you know, all the things that go into the, to the mental state of kickers. Uh, I think sometime down the road, that'll be an interesting story. Well, I think what he did is he tried to, not the right term, he tried to quicken his release. 
he tried to adjust to what NFL kickers do, which is a true two steps, which has to do with getting the ball out quicker, less likely to get blocked, all that. And I think where he's more comfortable is more like a two and a half or a third step to get that ball out. So I would imagine that the the motivation was thinking next level or projecting long-term. Um, and I would imagine he probably has a private kicking coach. I don't know that. To me, it reminds me one of the uh, track is a very individual sport, but sprinters in track and field all have their own personal coach. And I know they can be at odds a little bit with the university's sprint coach, if you will, because everybody has it's, it, it, everybody has a little different philosophy. I imagine Trey Jones probably runs into it with his golfers who have individual swing coaches, and Trey is working with them and wants them to approach things differently. So to me, it's one of those things. It is a little curious in this $100 million business with some schools having $200 million athletic budgets that nobody is using even a analyst as a de facto kicking coach <laughs> you know now, you, 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 you'd have to be careful about that because the analyst cannot be on the field either during the game or practice I, uh, he can be on the field he can't be coaching but you know florida state for years uh would invite back some of their prior kickers i know billy capice spent some time with a couple of the different kickers particularly during the the wide right era in the florida state kicking uh, and I think if, I, if memory serves, Billy Sexton was kind of the um, um, you know special teams coach, and he invited you know these guys to come back and just look and analyze and talk, and, and maybe maybe more of what they did was verbal than than actual technique. Uh, but as we've said, as I've said, as our listeners get tired of me saying, uh, kickers are a strange breed. I mean, you got to be you got to be a little bit off to be a good kicker, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Uh, I mean, the greatest example of that is Sebastian Janikowski. I love, I love Seabass, but, but that was a different dude, and he was very, very good at what he did. Talked about Fabian Lovett, talked about the, the kicker. The, this goes back to the offense, Keith. I don't remember a game like this. I'm sure it's happened, but Florida State had three touchdown drives of 90-plus yards in that game, and they had two of 90-plus against Clemson. So that's five in two games, and honestly, you probably could look back, and there's some years where Florida State didn't have a 90-plus yard touchdown drive. So that that speaks, I guess, to the potential of the offense if it could just be that consistent every series, right, so that you're not having to make up for turning it over inside the five on your first drive. Well, the, 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 the key word there is the term consistency. And over the last couple of three games, maybe four games, you've heard Coach Norvell as well as other members of his staff talking about, you know, Florida State can play with anybody in the country, but they're just not consistent enough to stay with anybody in the country. And that means, you know, being able to respond to a third nine. And by the way, third downs, they were very good in this ballgame. What were they, nine of 14 or 10 of 15? I mean, that, that'll win you some ball games. And, I, and I'm pretty sure, I haven't gone back and looked, I think they started 0 for 4, Keith. So they literally then hit just about every one the rest of the game. And my point is that consistency. I mean, you don't want to be in third and nine. You want to be third and three, third and two. But when you are third and nine, you have no anxiety about whether you can or cannot make it. And, the, and, the, and you know, consistency in catching the ball, uh, those pre-snap penalties, particularly early, um, you know, all of those are things that continue to be uh, – goals and, and things that the coaching staff can stress 
and candidly, things that I think kids can relate to. I mean, you can't explain away dropping a football. I mean, there's no excuse. Now, it right. happens. You're never going to be perfect. But the coach doesn't have to rant and rave about you didn't stick your foot in the ground on a cut or you didn't place your hands in the right spot or you were a half a second getting off of the ball on the snap count. The coach just has to show the tape, the film. It speaks for itself. By the way, in insurance, we have a term called, uh, I will not say this correctly, but it's called recipsa uh, locator, which is Latin for the thing speaks for itself. So if you go into the hospital to have your appendectomy, and they take out your tonsils. You're going to be pretty successful if you sue the hospital because you don't have to prove much. A drop ball, you don't have to prove much. In my mind, Keith, right now, I'm just imagining what Latin classes sound like in Wildwood. <laughs> I just, I just, I just so, told you the only one, the only one. <laughs> oh, I'm looking at uh, just some of these post game notes, Keith. This is from the Human Nature bucket. I hadn't even looked at what the series record is, but FSU is now 15 and four against Georgia Tech since they've been ACC opponents, right? And yet going into the game this weekend, the only memories I had of FSU Georgia Tech were Marcus Sims' fumble, the kick six with Aguayo, and Norvell's first game. So that's three of the four wins by Georgia Tech, and that's all I could remember in my brain. Well, that will also speak to the fact that Florida State ought to be about, uh, what would that make it, 18-2 and (laughs) or whatever. Yeah, well, and the other Georgia Tech win in that time frame was with Christian Ponder. I forget who was quarterback in Georgia Tech, but it was like a 45-40 type game that had a weather delay back in – so, boom, just like that. I named, And the only the only memorable win on the FSU side of the ledger that sticks in my brain is 92 because that was the birth of the fast-break offense. The rest are just kind of out there. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad we got a happier memory there. Travis, by the way, with 396 yards passing – uh, he needed one more. He needed four yards. Uh, guess the last quarterback that threw for 400 yards for FSU. Well, my initial guess would be Winston. How close am I? <clears throat> that's that's what I was told yesterday. But, you know, now that I think about it, Francois must have thrown for, for more than 400. Didn't he against Ole Miss in that game? I don't have time to look it up right now. But, yeah, I was told yesterday it was it was Winston. Regardless – it hasn't happened very often in the last decade of FSU quarterback play, so it was, it was a pretty good game. Well, the positive things going forward is, is it's been reinforced that when FSU plays consistent, the other C word that uh, Coach Norvell uses, we should probably use this one instead of consistency, is clean. When Florida State plays a clean ball game, uh, they can hang with anybody, and obviously they need to and will want to do that against Miami. Now, again – this is not a Miami team that, from a statistical standpoint, that you would say that you're, um, you know, you got to be terribly concerned with. But from a rivalry standpoint, you always have to be concerned with the Hurricanes. The FSU has sometimes struggled down in, in uh, Hard Rock Stadium. It's not been a place that they've played a lot of clean games. Uh, I, I think back to the Taggart game down there when, when Florida State lost the game. Miami didn't win it. Florida State lost it. Uh, so there's been some not good outcomes to come out of that facility against the Canes. And, and, and you just want to beat Miami. I mean, these kids know each other, particularly, obviously, the kids that grew up in Florida and South Florida. 
the proverbial bragging rights and, you know, seeing each other 10 years and 20 years and 30 years from now and who says what to whom and what happened. Um, I mean, it's a big ball game. How about, how about the fact that that rivalry, Tommy, is so strong, that rivalry is so strong, and we talked about this on our Wednesday show, that ABC is showing it in primetime. And Miami's got three losses or four, and Florida State's got three losses. Those used to be games where they were undefeated or one loss between the two of them. But people still want to see it, and kids still want to play in it, and it's still a big thing. Yeah, no, it's still – there still is some luster to it uh, for sure. And uh, I look forward to the to the latest chapter of it. Keith, um, I want to hit one more topic, but why don't we salute uh, – are you going with Jordan Travis or, or where are you going on this? We've, right been way, we've been doing this way too long, Tommy, way too long. It's time now for our Prime Meridian Bank performance of the game. And, yes, I am going with Jordan Travis. He was 24-38, 396 yards and three touchdowns along of 78 of your keeping score, uh, sacked one time and uh, goes over 2,000, as you mentioned, 2,000 yards for the season. Speaking of performance, Prime Meridian Bank was named one of the best banks to work for by American Bankers Magazine and has been for several years. If you need a, a home loan, a home equity loan, a business loan, checking account, savings account, anything bank-related services, check out our friends at Prime Meridian Bank. Try my bank, Prime Meridian Bank, member FDIC, offices in Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and Lakeland. You can visit them in person or on the web at trymybank.com. Oh, I thought of another negative, Keith. Uh-oh. The third quarter. Florida State is just collapsing at the start of the third quarter, and they were scheduled to receive this kick and still bungled it. I, I, I don't know. That's four games in a row, Keith, where they've, you know, a chance to make – uh, to help define the way the rest of the game goes, and it's gone the wrong way for FSU. General thoughts on that trend and how to reverse it, and then I want to talk more about the onside kick. Well, three things. Number one, uh, youth. Uh, number two, youth. And number three, a little more youth. Uh, the best and probably easiest way to get out of this is keep playing. You know, they talk about just needs more reps, needs more reps, needs more reps. Um, that That's – the number one way you combat youth. Um, yeah, the onside kick. Well, you, how about your thoughts? Well, here's what I was going to say. So you go back to the NC State game, which FSU lost, and, and Florida State had that fake punt return. I don't know what you call it, but the, the play where Pookie uh, ends up, you know, everybody's chasing Micah, and here, and here, here goes uh, – pokey rather and he goes 50 yards and you get three points I thought that was one of the greatest special teams play but it's going to be forgotten because FSU lost the game I'm I'm probably giving Georgia Tech too much credit here because I don't know that there would be this much strategy involved and I don't know if this showed up on the TV broadcast but the entire Georgia Tech team did not return to the field until the clock was under one minute until the start of the third quarter Normally, the teams are out there with about four minutes left. They literally still had guys coming out of the tunnel with 45 seconds left. So from the opposing sideline, I'm looking at it as if these guys have just totally checked out, like they're done. And then they line up and they execute this onside kick. It was almost like it was part of the deceptive ploy to say, we're just going to give this impression that we've packed it in. And then they and then they kick it. So, again, that's probably way too much credit for Georgia Tech. Uh, I would say that it's on the freshman Thomas who 
uh, he, you know, he's eight games into his college career and, and didn't stay home and got confused on it. And I, I'm not going to lose sleep over it uh, from a, from a grand standpoint, but that's kind of my two cents on it. Uh, remember my three words, youth, youth, and youth. How about this trend, Tommy? And I saw this in the Florida Georgia game. Uh, I got back in time to watch a lot of that from the stadium and Georgia had a, a fourth and one. And so they stayed in the huddle until about 10 seconds left on the, on the play clock. Then they rushed to the line of scrimmage. And then the quarterback starts barking signals. And one tight end shifts over to one side. And he keeps barking signals. And even the TV commentators are going, they're trying to draw them offside. They're trying to draw them offside. Then they move another tight end over to the other side. And they get down. And then they snap the ball with one second. In other words, they went from trying to draw them off sides to, all right, they're trying to draw us off sides, so we'll relax. And then they shoved it right down their throat. I mean, we're seeing all kinds of mental – you talk about coming out of the, uh, the tunnel late. You're seeing all kinds of mental things in that design on that pump return. Takes me all the way back. You want to change topics real quick? Takes me all the way back to Frazier, who was the head coach at Miami, when they pulled off that, that uh, alleged oh. overthrow. Yeah, the, the hidden ball series. trick. Yeah, the hidden yeah. ball trick. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing the things that coaches are coming up with now. And I would not be surprised if, in fact, coming out of that uh, halftime late was part of the overall deception. Yeah, it just because it really gave the impression like they don't want to be here. They're not even – it's all they can do to get out of the tunnel to start the second half. And then they line up. Let's take our beating. And boom, they hit that onside kick on you. Uh, the impressive thing there, though, was one of Mike Norvell's words, uh, not not the way the defense played, uh, which, by the way, that touchdown they gave up. I don't know if TV had a good replay of it, but there was an OPI because that was a rub route and it was much more intentional and egregious than what Johnny Wilson was called for in the first half, which absolutely was not OPI. I don't know if you saw, but I mean, it was I laughably, I, it was laughably bad both times, one that they called it on Johnny and two that they didn't call it in the second half. I mean, the one on, on, on Johnny, uh, he looked surprised that he had been hit. I mean, he looked like he was trying to dodge people. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then I just, you could see it out of the corner. It was Jamie Robinson got picked off, which is why that guy was open as much as he was. Uh, and everybody runs these routes all game long. But to call one on Wilson in the first half, but what I was going to say, response was the key word. And these, these are two perfect examples uh, in the first half. Uh, that that long pass that Cam McDonald gets nullified, and the next play is the touchdown to Toa Feely. So you responded. Yes. Yes. In the second half, you give up the touchdown to Georgia Tech, and you immediately go down the field and score again to say, no, 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 we're not having this. We're not letting you back in the game. So, and at one point, that was like a 97-yard drive because I, I, you know, forced, I don't remember if it was the beginning of the drive or after a loss or after a penalty, but at one point, I'm pretty sure they snapped the ball on their own three-yard line. See, this leads to another topic. I keep adding topics. Sam McCall is not the answer as a kick returner, Keith. We're eight games in and he's still kind of tiptoeing. There's no time to tiptoe. You got to find a hole and you got to go. That said, they know what they have in Trey Benson. And whenever Treshawn Ward comes back, Trey Benson will be back there returning kicks. And Winston Wright is also a good kick returner when he, whenever he comes in. So I'm going to put that in the bucket of McCall's been doing this. He's been working at it since preseason camp. And we're just not going to start moving other bodies in there right now and let that one go. Uh, I don't know if you want to weigh in on that, but then I'm going to get to the last topic, which is running backs. 
Well, I'll, I'll lead you into it. Uh, we, we failed to give due where credit is due with Trey Benson. He finished with 18 carries for 111 yards, did not lose a single yard, uh, ended up with a 6.2 yard per carry average. I thought he ran the ball extremely well. Obviously, Tolafili gets the credit. Uh, he had um, uh, 70 yards in that rush and obviously, as you mentioned, had that big touchdown reception on a real, real nifty uh, run after catch. But yeah, the running backs, um, they continue to impress. Well, that's that's I think it's a really good collection. So, I mean, Trayshawn Ward is out right now. Trey Benson, uh, there was concern when they when Florida State took him, there were a lot of folks that thought he was damaged goods because his knee injury was so significant. Like, what is Norvell doing? Well, now you can see his Trey uh, from the get go. He's been excellent at the second level at running over guys, making a miss. It's been a little more about getting it out of park and into drive at the first level, but he's getting better at that too. And and Toa Feely's a new guy. Toa, I really like talking to Lawrence Toa Feely. Uh, he's very introspective and in an- thoughtful in his answers. And obviously he had the two fumbles, but he's sort of a matchup nightmare too because you can put him in the slot and you can successfully run wheel routes. But then when you go beyond that, that Rodney Hill looks like he's got a really good future, Keith. And then C.J. Campbell comes in and plays, who was the scout team player of the year a year ago. They thought he was going to be out, and he looks fast and good. And I know it was garbage time, and I don't know what personnel Georgia Tech had in. I just think it's a pretty doggone good group overall. We talked about D-tackle maybe being the best position in terms of depth for FSU since the start of the season. It might be running back now that C.J. Campbell's back. And forgive me if my mind has gone bad on me again, but wasn't C.J. out for the year? Yeah. Yeah. Norvell apologized for that in the post game when whatever his injury was, and I don't recall it, they announced he was out for the season. And matter of fact, I think at that point, that might be when uh, Josh Burrell moved and was kind of going to be an H back, but they took him from receiver because they needed some depth. And I did notice in pregame yesterday, I forgot to follow up on it, that Burrell was back with the receivers. And uh, that would explain why, because CJ Campbell was able to play in that. And also J- Ja'Kai Douglas being back is a guy they can use in the backfield too a little bit. Um, I, I'm not going to say it's an embarrassment of riches. It's not what Alabama had when their guys are winning Heisman trophies as running backs or whatever, but it's a, it's a pretty good group. Well, and, and we've come to understand that this Norvell offense is, is a little different, a little unique. It's not uh, exotic. It's not the, the Paul Johnson offense. It's not the veer. Uh, it's not the slow mesh point that uh, NC State runs, but it is a little different. Uh, but it features the running back in ways that uh, is really, really uh, able to exploit those that can catch the ball out of the backfield and then, as importantly, make people miss after they catch the ball out of the backfield, which obviously you want them to do when they're running, when they get to the second level with linebackers or safeties. But it's another unique talent to be able to catch the ball effectively and then make somebody miss. And these guys are, are pretty good at it. Keith, we've managed to go way longer than we probably should have for a 41-16 game that really didn't have much drama to it. But uh, I I think I'm going to leave it there and call it. What do you think? I agree. I agree. 3-2-1, touchdown Florida State. We're done. We'll do this again on Wednesday. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.